Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Ray Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Bam! Well, hell, love. How are you, Johnny? You swore. Jesus. You swore. I said hello. You said hell. Two pieces. That is so evil. <laughs> HC double hockey sticks. Come on now. Yeah, I'm a bad girl. Bad, bad. Now what? Now what? Now what? All right. So yeah. before the show was funny because uh, she was like, Raylene's like, hey, you know what? Can we can we just take a quick break? I got to use the potty and wa- get some water. And I'm like, potty yep. and water. So we've been potty and water. Potty and water. That's what we've been talking about since uh, before the show. We do voices with each other. For yeah. the listeners, we constantly do these bizarre voices with each other to make each other laugh and say stupid, stupid things. Sh- like, we say stupid we do. Yeah. to each other before the show. And it's like, yeah. what are we? your questions do not line up with my questions, which are good, which is usually a good thing, just because of the fact that we we don't want to overlap. So sometimes, you know, when we do these shows, we, we prepare. I mean, a lot of listeners don't even know that usually doing a show, it requires about two hours, an hour to two hours worth of mm-hmm. pre-planning and questions and actually getting the guest on. And all this, a lot of work goes into a show. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would be blown away by how many hours are actually spent on one yeah. Episode. Especially somebody who gets interviewed all the time. You really have to, we, we try really hard to get questions that nobody else asks yeah. um, or that we've never heard. So, but even that, uh, it's, it's kind of fun that we are so different in some ways that our questions are, are different. We don't have a, a whole lot of overlap, which is really nice. Yeah. And we, we, you know, we break out like the sex questions and, and the weird that nobody would even think of asking somebody of stat- <laughs> stature, um, you know, during the show. So I think it's going to be fun. Raylene, are you ready for this show? You know it. Okay, here we go. Even if you've never taken a course in political philosophy, odds are you spend time thinking about questions about political philosophy. What does it mean to be free? Why is this country and many other countries distributing wealth and income? Why do we owe citizens of other countries? Politics is a racket, but we desperately need a political arm, not only to fight against the system, but to help educate the public about liberty. What is the party of principle? What is the Libertarian Party about? And what can be done better from within? Today, we are talking to Richard Longstreth, who is running for vice chair of the Libertarian Party. Richard is a Libertarian activist from this great state of Arizona, who has been serving as Region 1 representative to the Libertarian National Committee since 2018. He previously held state leadership positions in Colorado, including Regents Director, Campaigns Director, and Vice Chair. He was also a candidate for the 2nd Congressional District in Colorado for the U.S. House of Representatives in 2016. Richard is currently running to be the next vice chair of the LNC and has a vision to reignite the Libertarian Party's grassroots activists and better support candidates at all levels. He emphasizes a message of professionalism and has demonstrated ability to work with members of the party from across the caucus spectrum. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? 
All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Richard Larkstrand! How you doing, brother? Doing well, doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, man. And it's good to hear your voice. And uh, where are you now? Uh, so right now I am in New Mexico. Uh, they uh, are having a two-day convention. Business got done uh, earlier today. And uh, they'll resume tomorrow around uh, lunchtime or so with candidate meet and greet starting at noon. So I am in New Mexico. Nice. Nice. So you're running for vice chair of the Libertarian National Party. Um, for our audience, all right, what exactly does the vice chair within the goddamn party do, right? Because most people don't even know what the they do. And what are the responsibilities of that position? Mm -hmm. And why sure. are you running for it? Add that too. Sure. Okay. Uh, well, so what the vice chair role is, is um, basically on an overview, most people look at it as the person who steps in when the chair needs to step out for whatever reason. I look at it as a little bit more detailed than that. I look at it as whereas the chair is the external face of the party, uh, that really person that people look to uh, for inspiration and, uh, you know, uh, is that outward face. The vice chair is really an inward face and uh, is somebody who helps uh, move the party along uh, in uh, different directions, uh, working with HQ and, and different committees on the LNC to help move everything forward. Uh, I am running because I believe that I am the best person to fill that role uh, at this point. Uh, I've been on the LNC for the last two years uh, and have, uh, uh, since coming onto the LNC, have worked in order to make sure that we had a balanced budget two years in a row. Uh, previous to me being on there, wasn't on there. Uh, we didn't have a balanced budget. Uh, we started several political projects, uh, one of which being the Frontier Summit, uh, which is having a lot of uh, positive results uh, and is targeting specific races, as well as uh, introducing legislation uh, nice. at, at several different levels. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm running because I want to see more ideas like that come to fruition. I'm going to be focusing on uh, affiliate support primarily, uh, revamping the lpaction.org uh, website and uh, doing every, or, yeah, lpaction.org website, doing everything we can to make that actually usable uh, because it's fairly not usable right now. And also uh, work to uh, uh, develop our campaigns uh, and candidates a little bit better. We've done a really good job in the past of trying to get candidates on the ballot, but I feel Nationals uh, has not done a great job always providing resources to those candidates okay. uh, in the forms of fundraising training and you know door knocking training and things like that. So uh, we're already getting a little bit better, but I think we can do even more. And those two go hand in hand to help grow our party. Bam. Okay. Bam. I, okay, so I, I did have a question asking how uh, what direction you'd like to participate in taking the Libertarian Party in going forward. But everybody kind of has like a different view and everybody gets elected separately, right? And, and for different positions in the Libertarian Party. Is there an organization problem here or does everybody kind of come together and have the same vision? How would you work to do those things in conjunction with everybody else, like the regular chair and then um, everybody else that's in, running? Sure. I, I mean, everybody is elected and comes from their own different vision and that sort of thing. I'm not running with a slate on anybody, uh, with anybody. Um, I, I have a friendly relationship with uh, both people running, or with uh, all three people running for chair right now. Primary two in the front right now are Josh uh, and uh, Joe, and, and I I've, have a good working experience uh, with both of them. I've worked with both of them on this last LNC term, and they both do have distinct visions. And either one, because of how I view the role of the chair and the, L and the uh, vice chair, either one 
one is compatible with my view of, of helping move this party forward. Um, they would be the face, whoever it is, uh, appealing to the masses at large. And, and uh, I would work with them based on uh, uh, what I see on the internal side and, and conversations on the LNC and with staff uh, and other party members in order to help steer the party. So uh, really, I'm, I'm not endorsing anybody. Um, um, and I find uh, we can set our ideological differences aside. We can come together uh, pretty well in order to, to move this party forward. And, and for a long time, we've had a bunch of uh, ideological uh, uh, people, people voting along ideological lines and not always uh, doing what's best for the party, I feel like. And, and so that's something I want to change and see, see, uh, see us move forward. Okay, right on, man. And, you know, I know that you've been uh, the regional one rep now for two years. I was your alternate for like a moment. For like a couple, yeah, like yeah. what was that, like three months? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, I just couldn't take the emails, man. I'm going to be honest with but you. But he loved uh, you. I, I want you to know that no, I got no, to I, hear I, on the phone constantly about how cool you were. And how yeah, you were a great guy. What a great, I mean, yeah, he loves you. Our ideology lined up very well. I think we always agreed on a lot of things. And it wasn't even like a, a libertarian you know, principled decision. It could be something that's in the gray area or not. It's more related to running a business or running an organization. It had nothing to do with libertarian principles. Um, exactly. Speaking like share of values. Yeah, and those are the things that I want to take to to the LNC as vice chair is is setting aside some of our ideological differences and operating more in that gray and figuring out how to make that gray a more of a black and white and how to take us up to that next level and really level up our organization instead of focusing on you know who's right the radicals the pragmatists the the Mises caucus the uh, Libsox haha um, or, or any number <laughs> of different caucuses that sort of thing it doesn't really matter what our ideologies are a candidate can go out and, and talk about ideology with his constituents and whatever ideology uh, he or she promotes, that's going to resonate or not resonate. And that's up to the candidate to decide. But we as a national organization should have the tools and resources in place to help people from all ideologies. And, and um, that doesn't mean that caucuses are bad. I think caucuses all serve a purpose. Um, I'm, I'm a proud member of the Radical Caucus. But when you're trying to guide an organization and, and help take us to the next professional level, sometimes you've got to set those ideological differences aside and focus on what's best for the organization and understand that the ideological fights can happen at a different level. Right, they yeah. don't have to happen at the very top. I'm with you, brother. All right. What are your thoughts about social media presence for elected LNC officials? And will you be using social media to engage party members and the libertarian curious? Absolutely. <laughs> Liberty I, I curious. That. There we go. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, I, I think social media it, in today's world, social media is is, is a thing. I, there's no getting around it. You can hate it. You can love it. It doesn't matter. We all have to participate in, in one way or another. Um, I will absolutely be using uh, social media uh, to try and stay connected with people. I, I put my email and phone number out there regularly. Uh, my phone number is uh, uh, out there for anybody that's trying to find it. Or if you can't find it, message me. And it's it's one of those things that it just helps gives another layer of connection uh, uh, to people. Um, that would not necessarily reach out in any other way. So uh, what I did as Region 1 representative as well is uh, my predecessor, um, Karen Ann Harlos, uh, primarily interacted with uh, state chairs uh, in order to make decisions with the region. Uh, when I took over the role, I, I still primarily worked with uh, state chairs, but also started doing public opinion polls on various topics as they came up on the LNC in order to get a, a gauge of how the region was feeling and how kind of Libertarian Party in my own you know, echo chamber uh, was feeling about certain topics and issues. And I would certainly uh, want to consider that as vice chair and, and get input from all different angles in order to try and represent the party as, as best I could. Mm. So Richard, really quick though, you know, I know that you've been, you know, doing this region one stuff, as I was saying before, but 
since you've been there, since 2018, what has been your biggest success as the Region 1 LNC rep? And what has been your biggest unresolved challenge? Uh, well, I would say the biggest success, you know, has really been, I think that, that, that the actions on the LNC is what led to the biggest success. So a uh, little story, I'm talking about uh, November uh, 2018. Um, I had been on the LNC for, you know, all of four or five months at that point. And we had, we were uh, on a deficit budget passed by the previous LNC. And I came into the budget meeting and, uh, basically was not happy with the fact that a deficit budget was being proposed again. Um, there was a lot of contention. We went into executive session, I think twice on the very first day. And uh, there was no obvious re resolution in sight. And so um, I stayed up late uh, working with uh, uh, Joe Bish Penchman, and uh, he and I worked together. And uh, we hammered out a deal that did balance the budget, that, that cut a little bit off of uh, everybody and all the pet projects in order to try and advance, uh, in order to try and get that balanced budget and get us back to being, you know, a party of principle, especially on, on some of that financial stuff that, that we ought to be. Um, and uh, so uh, I, I worked with him. And then we uh, uh, started to roll it out to the rest of the LNC, uh, uh, making phone calls, talking to people all before our meeting on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. So all in total, I think that night I got maybe two or three hours of sleep. Um, and when push came to shove, we got in, there was uh, some discussion around the proposal, uh, but the proposal was unanimously approved to balance our budget, which I think was a huge victory hmm. and got things really moving in the right direction. So um, I would say that would be my biggest LNC success, specifically for the region. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we... This region, and and I don't mean any anything ill about this as far as you, Johnny, goes, but this this region hasn't had an alternate for most of my term. Um, uh, you yeah, know, when it I, sucks, dude. Like, I it, mean, it, it, it's rough. no, yeah, but I, it, like, it, they wanted me to fly out to places. I'm like, dude, I'm broke. Like, yeah, I couldn't exactly. do it at, at the time. That I, is the hard part. That's mm -hmm. the hard part. I mean, they don't pay for. I mean, I'm not saying that they should. You know, I'm not dictating that, but I'm just saying it is kind of difficult to get a guy like me. You know, who's not making that much money. I'm not doing horribly, but I'm, I just can't just like, oh, I'm going to go to Florida next week. Yeah, Buffy, whatever. Especially I just can't do it. Especially going on. Yeah, not yeah, everybody it, can. There was a whole bunch of going on. So it just wasn't in my best. But I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would have totally stuck by if I could afford it. How's that? Oh, yeah, sure. And there's no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. It, it, it was a mixture of, in, in, in both cases, you and, and uh, Craig Bowden, who was the original alternate uh, elected at convention, there were, you know, personal things going on. And, and all the reasons for, for needing to leave were, were good and justified reasons. And, and you're both doing awesome now. And it's, it's uh, you know, Craig's declared uh, his intentions to run for Region 1 in my place. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're rocking and rolling and doing what you do. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy for you both and that things have gotten a lot better but it was a struggle for region one and so um i had to kind of navigate this these last two years more or less uh, uh by myself for most of it now i've got francis went in place now from montana who's helping me out and uh he's really helping in a large way helping draft our regional agreement um which is taking a huge load off my plate especially as i'm uh, running uh, for vice chair um but yeah i would say that that would be the biggest uh, uh challenge uh, or thing that we overcame specifically in region one 
And then uh, I guess uh, the the one unresolved thing um, is I was really hoping to see membership grow to a, a larger level in Region One uh, during my time. Uh, and unfortunately, we, we we did grow quite a bit. Um, I don't know the exact percentage off the top of my head, but there was a, a significant growth, especially in Washington and Colorado. Um, but I was really hoping to get to such a size that Region One uh, could be split into uh, smaller regions. Um, it is 11 states right now. It is a large geographic area that stretches from uh, Kansas up to Montana, um, out to uh, as far west as Alaska and Hawaii, uh, and then goes down in circles down uh, through Arizona and uh, New Mexico. Um, wow. And, you know, wow. It, yeah, there's a big difference between yeah. Montana and Hawaii, right? It's it's a it's a challenge, and so I was really hoping that we could uh, uh, grow the membership large enough that um, you know we could split the region or, or or kind of relook at some of the numbers and and get more states that have like issues together in one place rather than having one person try and manage all of these different areas. Um, didn't work out, but but that does never say never, and and you know it's it will eventually. It's it's just a matter of continuing to focus on growth and and uh, do and everything you can to recruit more members and and you know maybe looking at some bylaw changes too to change how the lnc is made up there and some of those are being thrown around uh uh during this uh, bylaws committee as well so we'll see what the delegates decide and and if we keep it the same way we keep it the same way and hopefully uh, the growth continues and i will do everything i can to help that growth bam beautiful so okay well i'm actually kind of glad that johnny brought this up so um i've heard quite a few opinions on paid positions in the party i think there's only one paid position in the party right now correct uh, well, so there's a, uh, the Libertarian Party headquarters is all paid staff. So uh, there's nobody on the LNC paid and then all of headquarters is, is paid. So executive director on down to uh, contractors. Okay, executive director. Got it. Got it. Okay. So what's your take on this? Should LNC officials be paid uh, with this change of dynamic or quality of the candidates running or elected? Uh, what's the upsides, downsides? What are the arguments and where do you fall on that? Wow, great question. I'm totally that's with a, you. Yeah, that's that. a really good question. Um, so I would, uh, I, I think that our party could uh, benefit with a paid share. Um, and, and that has, you know, mixed feelings from different people. But if done right, if it was structured in the bylaws correctly, a paid share would be able to truly dedicate all of his or her time to the party, um, 100%. And I think that that would be advantageous for our party, especially as we uh, enter these next stages of growth and and continue to go to the next level. Um, that said, how much and, and how would that process work? I, I don't exactly uh, know. I'd imagine the delegates would have to, you know, pass something at the, uh, by bylaws in order to allow it. Um, and they would set the uh, dollar limits there or, or interview process there or uh, not even interview process. I mean, they would probably still elect the national chair and just give them this salary. Um, so, so the details would have to be worked out, but I'm not necessarily against it. At the same time, we've had a volunteer organization for a really long time. Um, and there are certain, certainly advantages to that. But one big disadvantage, I think, is that the chair, um, you know, unless he or she is independently wealthy, they they have to have a day job of some type. Yeah. Um, and that means taking away time from the party. And, you know, it is it is what it is. We've all got to pay our bills and, and take care of our families. Um, but it's a lot easier to do this type of stuff when you don't have that day job in the background, uh, certainly. I agree. Uh, and I know you know, I work 60 plus hours a week myself in my day job, and I, I find the challenges of, of being a region one rep and even potentially the vice chair uh, uh, stressful, not impossible. But I couldn't even imagine being the chair uh, mm -hmm. and doing what I'm doing right now and having to have that day job. Well, like the follow up, though, is, you know, what do you think? Do you think what about the quality of the candidates? Do you think that would change? I mean, like if you got somebody 
I mean, would they be more greedy? I mean, could it be a good thing? Could it be a bad thing? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Let's just say like the more RNC opportunists, was, but also you might be able to get better, better quality of a better person if they got their airfare covered, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you'd run into a situation where you'd get both. You'd have, uh, on the one hand, you would definitely have more people uh, applying who just wanted to get money. Um, we can probably think of one or two of those type of people right off the top of our head. <laughs> Not going to name any names or anything. Not naming but... anybody, right? But, uh, <laughs> we, we, we all know that there are certain people out there who would jump all over it just for the chance to, to have that title and money. Sure, sure. Uh, and that, that would be a problem. But I, I would hope that the delegates would be intelligent enough and have enough foresight to to uh, still be intelligent with and, and almost more intelligent, do more research on who they choose to put in that role if we decided to pay that that chair. I mean, they should already be doing that anyway, uh, because it is the face of our party. But, uh, you know, if, especially if there's a paycheck attached. And, no, and I'm with you, brother. Down. Yeah. Yeah, it's and at the same time, though, I think that there are people who would love to be involved who aren't for whatever reason, because there is no paycheck attached to it. Um, as far as, you know, paying anybody outside of the chair, I, I that would be a really tough argument to, for mm -hmm. me to make. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the chair is one that that could be considered uh, by the delegates at some point. Mm. OK, Riley, awesome. go ahead. I, I was okay, like, sure. I was just doubling I, down on yours because it was. Uh, yeah, I'm lost. into it. OK. So libertarianism is no stranger to grassroots and the strategy of educating people on the ineptitude and immorality of the state. So do you believe that this is the role of the Libertarian Party itself or do you believe it needs to be doing something else? So our organization has really two functions and, and they can't one can't function without the other. The, the primary purpose of, of any political party is to get people elected. Um, and so in that sense, it is very important that the Libertarian Party stay focused on uh, promoting candidates and developing resources for candidates in order to help them get elected in order to continue to grow the party. Uh, the other part of that, though, is, is we are a small party right now. We don't have, you know, celebrities standing up and shouting that they're proud to be libertarians and that automatically getting us, you know, plus a thousand new, you know, registered sure. libertarians, that, that sort of thing doesn't yeah. happen. So, so what that means is that we do have a little bit of an educational aspect that we need to make sure that we're executing. And that's where affiliate support comes in, uh, recognizing that, that the magic happens at a local level. Uh, the national organization needs to do everything they can in order to develop educational resources for the local affiliates so that way they can continue to grow. Um, in turn, as they grow, they, get, they will then have more people that can run for office, which then also gets our name recognition out there. It's a, it's a real feedback loop of, of positivity for, for Liberty. If, if we can get both of those parts going. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you can't have one without the other is okay. what I would say. Right on, man. Well, you obviously consider yourself a radical libertarian. Do you believe that the radicals though are really the pragmatists and the pragmatists are really just the goddamn bootlickers? <laughs> <laughs> or is that what Raylene believes? Like, uh, well, I, I, that might be what Raylene believes. Um, so, so my perspective on it is is that every caucus serves a really good purpose for what they believe in. And and uh, I heard Michael Heiss kind of sum it up uh, best on a decentralized revolution uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and basically, he, he said, you know, the radicals are really good at reminding people of what our principles are and, and really drawing people towards those principles and making sure we don't go too far off the guardrails and that sort of thing. Um, I, I view the radical caucus as, an, as a member this way as well, um, that we really are are meant for internal, you know, guidance and, and being those guardrails and protecting the liberty brand at all costs um, and protecting our organization at all costs. Um, you know, the Mises people are really, really strong at recruitment and getting people on board and, and running candidates. Um, their Mises pack is is doing phenomenally. Um, that is yeah, where they are. Yeah, is it's and, true. And really impressed with what they're doing. And that's something the radicals aren't doing, you know. And then at the same time, there's the Pragmatist Caucus, which, you know, for, for all of their 
faults and, and this sort of thing, they are really good at, at focusing on policy and doing everything they can to try and advance and change policy. Um, to give you an idea, uh, the Frontier Summit has uh, a pragmatist on it uh, who reached out to um, a lady named uh, Christine Stenquist uh, from Utah, uh, who uh, helped get medical uh, marijuana legalized, or uh, yeah, medical marijuana legalized in Utah. Um, she's now associated with the Frontier Project. Um, and uh, while she's not a libertarian, she is helping advance our, our agenda in a couple of ways. And she is going into Wyoming right now and uh, trying to introduce a bill on Wyoming's floor that would allow interstate commerce for medical marijuana patients so that if you had a mar medical marijuana license in Utah, you wouldn't have to worry about your marijuana being taken yeah, from you sure. as you travel into Wyoming or something like that. Lovely. So, That's very cool. Yeah, really? I mean, Oh, go ahead. It's a, it's a pragmatic approach. Is it? Is it ultimately? I, you know, as a radical, I want the drug war ended, one hundred percent, without question. Everybody does what they want, but mm -hmm. we do have to take some pragmatic steps, and, and I recognize that as well. So, um, I think all caucuses do serve a role and a purpose. I think the Waffle House caucus by far is the best caucus out there, uh, and I'm going to stand by that. <laughs> really, let me double up really quick, and then you can do two sure here. Thing. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts, though, on since we're talking about this, like this radical and pragmatist thing or division? Um, what about the vibe in the party? I mean, do you believe in uniting these two fronts as vice chair, or do you believe a divide, a healthy divide could be healthy for the party and not just for the Libertarian Party, but any party? Well, a good question. Great question. It depends what level you're looking at. At a national level, I think that those sides should join hands and say what's best for our national party and uh, do everything we can to help advance that and work together to figure out what that is. But I think that within the party itself and within the party structure, these are rallying camps. And, you know, I'm for the purest, uh, pure uh, libertarian messages, and I'm going to be drawn and attract people that are also drawn to that message. And uh, there's a place for those people in our party. There's also a place for people who want to see incremental change. And I think that they should be allowed to to rally behind their people and those people that they like as well. And I think that that's healthy and, and good for our organization to have people focus in different areas. And, and I would encourage that. And I hope that at a national level, we can set some of that aside and, and develop resources that um, both sides can use or all sides can use, depending on what the issue is. Um, and that are uh, that really help advance our banner, no matter which side is using it, that we don't have necessarily an ideology at the top, but instead our ideology is reigniting and keeping our grassroots, passionate, and, and well-equipped to fight the liberty fight on the front lines. Rock and roll, man. Great answer. Bam. All right. What kind of attributes do you believe makes a good chair for the Libertarian Party specifically? And what red flags would you tell the listeners they should always be watching for uh, regarding personality or performance? Um, well, I think uh, good attributes for a chair are going to be uh, highly organized. Um, you know, somebody who can uh, keep a calendar is certainly going to be very important, uh, uh, not to mention just uh, uh, having good name recognition and, and understanding who they're interacting with and when, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, when it's important to call on certain people and that sort of thing. So a chair needs to uh, be really good with people, needs to be really organized, needs to have a good uh, business sense about how things uh, work. Uh, my vision of what the LNC is in relation to uh, the Libertarian Party uh, headquarters is uh, that the LNC really serves as the board of directors on behalf of the delegates uh, to LPHQ. Mm -hmm. um, and a board of directors kind of manages, you know, and, and tells the executive director when they're doing well, when they're not doing well, uh, and what they need to focus on and sets priorities. Um, so a chair uh, needs to be able to identify and a vice chair need to work together to identify what the needs of the organization are at a whole um, and go from there. I think uh, red flags that you got to look out for are 
um, you know, if somebody is is trying to be a chair and they have a history of uh, missing meetings or or forgetting people's names or uh, you know are more worried about their ego and their brand rather than the good of the party, I think those are all red flags. And I don't mm-hmm. think we have a candidate that's like that. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. I, I just you know, I, I just would say that if you see that type of behavior, um, that person's not putting our party first. Uh, they're not they're not focused on what is good and going to help advance us in the movement. Um, and so for that reason, I, I would say be cautious of that person. Doesn't mean they're bad guys or gals if, if they emerge, but uh, uh, be cautious. Just keep an eye on them and make sure that when you do cast your votes that you know who and what you're voting for. Beautiful. And then how would you address concerns about professionalism, which we hear a lot about? I mean, anybody that's been in the party for a while, The the talk of the word professionalism gets brought up all the time regarding LNC officials and even memberships. Um, uh, What do you believe professionalism even entails? So professionalism for me is is it's decorum amongst the different board members and that sort of thing. It's, it's the quorum, not just internally amongst themselves, but also uh, a public decorum and how the public uh, uh, views the organization. Um, and so there's, there's a level of, of professionalism when it comes to that. Um, now that said, if somebody's wrong, um, any LNC member should be able to stand up and say whatever they want and everything else. But sometimes uh, it can be useful to have one-on-ones first and get a clear understanding instead of jumping to conclusions. So that's one aspect. The other bigger aspect the one that I'm really going to be focusing on uh, as vice chair uh, would be you know, we look at the Democrats and the Republicans, and they have resources way beyond anything that the Libertarian yeah. Party has. Oh, yeah, um, big they, time. Thanks, man. taxpayers. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> a big part of that and then yeah. the system, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, they have they have a, a membership list. They have donor lists. They have all of these things available to to state parties and local parties and, and to candidates. And um, there are certain resources that that we lack as a professional political organization that we shouldn't be lacking. It's it's 20. 20 and we don't even have a national database right now set up with all the states. We're in progress. We're getting there. If you're not familiar with the CRM project uh, and you hear somebody talk about that, there is a national CRM project that is slowly rolling out to all the states, but it could probably be another, you know, depending on who you talk to, two to five years uh, before that is actually rolled out to every single state and maintained at a regular level. And I just, I think that's too slow. I think that that if we're going to be a professional organization, a professional political party, we have to get some very essential tools uh, that, that help modernize us and, and at least, you know, have us seeing the Democrats and Republicans, you know, uh, that way we can eventually pass them and put them in our rear view mirror. Um, and right now we are still operating largely as if it were, you know, 2000. Our, our systems are just not up to date. Um, the resources aren't there and, and we've got to develop more um, in that professional sense in order to be a, a organization that people don't look at as a joke, uh, but one as, as a legitimate organization that, you know, can reach down and help local candidates and make a difference at a local level as well as at a national level. All right, here, uh, last question right before our commercial break. I'm going to make this mm-hmm. goddamn quick, all right? But I, I got to okay. know, right? <laughs> what are your priorities, right? So if you're nominated, vice chair of the party, Richard Longstreet, yay, everyone's throwing hats and the uh, flags and all that big party, right? In your hotel room, you're buying. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. I'm going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be there in Austin. Um, for this big event, um, what would your to-do list look like and what would be the priorities of your to-do list? 
So the, the first priority, first and foremost uh, for 2020 is to make sure that we uh, uh, get our ballot access uh, 100%. We're almost there. Every state right now has a plan on it, but that would be the first step is to ensure that that, that goal is met. Um, now that we hit it again, um, you know, Nick did a great job helping push the party to that point. Uh, and, and so as uh, Bill Redpath and, um, you know, those those two have done a great job amongst all of our activists and campaigners and, and you know, uh, petitioners and every, all of those people have done a great job in getting that ballot access. And it would be a real shame if this party were to lose it again um, in any state. And so we need to maintain that. And so that would be my first priority. Um, secondary priority would really be to take a look at uh, headquarters uh, and see what we can do to better support uh, headquarters in various projects. Um, I mentioned the CRM not rolling out in a timely manner. Um, there, Illinois and Arizona, I know both have at least been waiting nine months to be onboarded. Um, and that is with them contributing to the National Party, um, almost in a sense they were told that if you donate a certain amount of money, uh, we will try to move you up in the queue and get you taken care of faster. Um, they donated. That's awesome. And they, That's awesome. No, no, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm being facetious. A, no, a, yeah, I know, right? And that was kind of my reaction too when I heard about it. And they still don't have a rollout date, and that's that's the problem. So um, I would want to uh, work with uh, uh, you know Dan Fishman, see what the priorities have been at national under uh, Nick, and Nick has now declared that he is not seeking re-election. Uh, so we can talk about his term in the past, um, and uh, you know see what directions Dan was receiving from Nick, and see what we can do to redirect uh, some of what needs to happen at national to reprioritize and move us forward. Um, Mm-hmm. Part of what I've seen still, even that's unresolved at this point, is uh, back in our December meeting as we were setting the budget, uh, it was asked that, uh, and this is on the public email list, I'm not, not you know, throwing shade at anybody, uh, but I sent an email. We had asked uh, uh, Dan Fishman to get us an organizational chart um, and uh, present it to the LNC at our February meeting, uh, and that did not happen. So uh, as of right now, HQ, to my knowledge, still does not have an org chart. Um, I emailed about two weeks ago asking Dan if he had that uh, to follow up, and I did not receive a response. So it's possible he missed the email. Um, we're both very busy people, uh, but that that's something that we need to figure out is how is our HQ organized and what do they need to get the support? Uh, the other thing that we passed in, in our December meeting uh, was we authorized uh, unanimously as an LNC that there should be a development director, uh, which we have, uh, as well as two subordinates uh, hired in order to support that director. Only one of those subordinates has been hired, and here we are five or six months later. Um, and I, I've been told the reason why is they're waiting on funds to build up so that way this new person can pay for themselves or so that the department can pay for this new person itself. Um, that's good in concept, but if the LNC authorizes something and tells the executive director to do something, that's what should be done. So I, I would want to find out what's going on, why, and, and get to the bottom of some of that, and then figure out what's needed and, and staff appropriately, and maybe you know clear the docket on some items that they had planned or, or what have you in order to get them focused on, on really supporting our affiliates and candidates again instead of whatever pet projects or other projects they have been doing. Rock and roll. Make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on how many nights? Come on, Raylene. Seven nights a week. Bam! On 190 plus radio stations coast to coast. It's pro liberty. Every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, though. This is Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Hi, 
Having a blast. I am loving getting to know Richard better. I've, I've yeah. always heard really wonderful things about good him. things about from Richard. Yeah, very everybody, good guy. but especially you. And uh, well, I mean, I, I work with Richard for three months. We talk generally like at least once a week, I think. Yeah. Uh, definitely regarding LNC stuff. And like I said, Richard's very good at business and he's very good at Robert's rules and all that other crap. But hey, Richard Longstreth, guess what we're doing? What's that? It's tradition. It's called Rocket Fire. Rocket what we do fire. on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Mr. Longstreth, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Let's do it. Let's do it. Here we go. Question one. If illegal immigrants commit felonies, do you support the idea of immigration and customs enforcement to deport them? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that uh, if they're committing felonies, it, it depends what the felony is, right? If it's a victimless crime, then no, forget about it. They, they didn't do anything. They didn't hurt anybody. Uh, they didn't take anybody's property. Um, I would have a real problem with that. If they're a murderer or something like that, um, I could see an argument being made. I think ultimately more better solutions can be found at a individual state and local level than by getting the federal government involved. Um, so yeah, I would, I would like to see it more localized, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, that's a tough one for sure. And I would say uh, it depends on, on really what the exact felony was. Rock and roll question two. What is more valued in society? This is a deep one, right? You ready? This, who is ready. more valued in society? The philosopher or the football player? And why do you think that is? Well, I think the football player is. Um, I, I think that people have a certain bloodlust and sports lust, and uh, people like games, and it's distracting, and, and they feel that they can live through each other's games. Um, I think that the philosopher, though, um, is is also highly looked on, uh, just just not quite as highly as as uh, as you know the uh, football player. I think the philosopher, though, is is really the the type of person who helps the society think and move forward uh, and figure out uh, kind of what the next best steps are. If, if you think back uh, thousands of years ago, we had uh, tyrant kings and, and slaves, and that was it. And, and eventually, a middle class rose up, and eventually, you know, you know, we, we got to where we are today. And to me, the philosophers are the ones now talking about libertarianism, and and you know that being the future. And and if we continue to focus on that, we'll have a good future. That's hope, right? Right. The Greeks actually, you know, valued the philosopher more than the yeah. athlete, but maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that was the case. What about I always the Olympics? About yeah, I was going to say that I just, that caught my, man. Mm. yeah, I just thought about Go that. Like, yeah, kind of, kind of. All right. Question three. Would you rather live in a democracy, right? Or a monarchy and why? Ooh. A true democracy. This is what I'm saying. A true democracy or a monarchy. So a true democracy is ruled by the majority at the expense of the minority, no matter what that is. Yep. So 50 point, 
50.1 rules over 49.9. So um, that means that you could suppress an entire population on a large scale, um, and it'd be a lot harder to overthrow that government because majority rules. Uh, a monarchy, though, is is you know one royal family or one royal person uh, ruling over a large amount of people. Both have armies. I would say probably, honestly, a monarchy. Uh, <laughs> Good is, I'm, I'm with you, man. Yeah, it's yeah, kind we, of a trick question. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I yeah. So, yeah. I would go under a monarchy over a democracy. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Question four. The U.S. Constitution makes no mention of a right to privacy. It's implied, though. I'm, I'm just ad-libbing here. Should it be amended to affirm such a right? And by doing so, would that be creating more laws, which goes against the radical position of libertarianism? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say I, I think it's implied, and I, I I'm always very cautious whenever you ask the government to make more laws. I, right? Me too. Never, me too. Let's and, amend this. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah, they never make a law, and it's it's never straightforward and easy. There's always some sort of a loophole that winds up getting exploited by them and everything else. And I think that if we were to amend the Constitution to put in a right to privacy, the question then would be uh, before the Supreme Court, well, privacy up to what extent? Mm -hmm. and, and where does privacy, you know, and then we start to literally see privacy eroded away. Whereas right now, because it's intangible, we can have more philosophical discussions about it. Uh, but it's trampled on every day. I, I, gosh, I don't know. I, I would say I would not at this time support the constitutional amendment for privacy, but I would be open to entertaining and hearing more about that kind of line of thought and, and, and work, seeing wording on that uh, to, and, and would maybe be open to it. All right. Question five. Do you think it's okay for big corporations to be able to dump millions of dollars to political campaigns but by having something like caps or donations impeding on freedom of speech, even though they have probably received their money through protectionism or mercantilism. Basically, do you think it's okay that big corporations or companies give money to campaigns, even though they're rich and they're making tons and thousands and millions of dollars, and they're giving it to these campaigns where Mr. Libertarian down the street doesn't have that money? What's your thought on this? So my thought is, is... It's a tough one, right? Because we have the government that, that does all of these favors for corporations. And the, the real reason why some of these corporations are so big right now is because uh, government favors and that sort of thing. Then they turn around, they donate that money in order to keep the same people in office. That way they can continue to get more funding. Yes, so that's true. Current, you know, in our current system right now, I, I don't. You know, I don't really like it. I conceptually, though, do like it. I think corporations, you know, as they come up, uh, should be allowed to to voice their political opinion. And if a business owner has enough money to, you know, uh, fund a campaign, there should be no caps or limits or anything on that. If if the people in a free market don't like the decisions of that business, then that business would ultimately be boycotted against, or their sales would go down, or their service wouldn't be used, and, and they would go out of business, and then they couldn't do that. Uh, but in our current system, it just it doesn't. Work right. It, it, it capitalism, true capitalism versus what we have now with this mixed, uh, mixed, uh, mixed socialist capitalist kind of economy. Uh, it, it just doesn't translate fully uh, as well. So I'm, I'm very radical on this point. I would say yes, corporations should be able to donate, but our current system is so flawed that uh, maybe we should scratch our heads and question that a little more. Right on. Question six: What makes a political issue a moral issue? 
Uh, I think moral issues come in when you start violating the rights of others. And, and as a libertarian uh, and, and one uh, who believes in a lot of uh, libertarian philosophies, when you start violating the, the rights of others, whether in, in their family, in their property, in their, their personal lives, uh, that's where it's, it becomes a moral issue. Otherwise, um, if you're doing what you do and you're not hurting anybody, you're not taking their stuff, um, you should be allowed to do whatever you want without question. All right, man, rock and roll. Conservative. A candidate you completely dislike ends up getting the nomination for president. Would you, as vice chair, still blindly throw your support to said candidate this election year? Okay, good question. So, blindly throw my support? No. I, I Would I support them as, as a member of the LNC? Should. Uh, yes, give them all the opportunities, uh, share what data we can, work out a data, uh, an agreement where we get some of their data uh, from people who sign up through their campaign uh, and that sort of thing and, and those those sorts of things. Uh, but I think that it would be, I, I would view it as part of my duty uh, to have regular conversations with that candidate and try and get them on a, more of a, in, in my opinion, a more of a principled message and, and try to uh, bring them around more to a side of liberty that I think uh, more people in our country would resonate with. So uh, job-wise, if the delegates choose me, yes, I will support whoever our candidate is, uh, but it won't bleed blindly. I, I am certainly open to having conversations and, and criticizing, and, and uh, you know, it's how we all make ourselves stronger. And everybody in this liberty movement, uh, whether you're a, a local county leader or running for president of the United States, should be open to some criticism on how to uh, better refine our message and appeal to more people. Right on question eight. The Libertarian Party has been around for 40 plus years, almost 50 now, and a large portion of the public still does not know what the goddamn f is a libertarian. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, quite simply, we have a branding problem, right? Uh, so our, our word uh, our word is libertarian. Um, it looks like the word uh, liberal to some people. Uh, we get that all the time. But more than that, the, the Libertarian Party, we are not engaged enough with the media. We're not engaged enough with legislative action and, and political you know, type stuff in D.C. at a national level. Uh, we don't issue enough press releases. And because of that, uh, we just have a hard time uh, uh, getting people interested. I, I was on a decentralized revolution the other day. And um, on their podcast, a similar sort of question came up from the chat on the side. And basically what I said is we need our, our person who stands up and says, you know, I'm proud to be a libertarian and that will inspire other people to jump in and, and join us. And we've got our share of libertarian celebrities who could do it. But right now, the Libertarian Party's messaging is so off brand that they're not shouting how proud they are to be libertarians. And that's hurting our appeal in, in recruiting new members. Right on, man. Question nine. Were the Constitution's framers naive or wise in their opposition to political parties? Uh, wise. I think uh, I think our country uh, works best when we can uh, when we can focus just on freedom. Um, I don't think parties really serve a large purpose. And I know that's, you know, I talked about how caucuses do serve a purpose in our party. And I think interest groups serve a party on a large scale. Uh, but I think when you have a duopoly uh, running the entire government, um, right, we have Pepsi and Coke running everything. Where's where's RC Cola, right? Where's, right. where's, where's these where's other organizations? Jolt. That was my favorite thing, man. Jolt. That was good. <laughs> Exactly. So, so I think that our it hurts our brand right now when we have parties. Now, if we had you know seven or eight parties, or or heck, I'd even start with three right now, just on a national regular stage. I, I think that that dialogue uh, could change a little bit, and I, I could see parties serving more of a purpose. Uh, you know, over in, in Europe, there's a lot of uh, uh, countries that have you know ten plus parties, uh, and everybody gets to have their niche, and every niche gets to host you know have its voice, and and I think that's a good thing. But um, the way our system is set up right now with a duopoly party system uh, it, it's not good it's not what our founders had intended at all um, at all not even a little bit
All right, man. Question 10, the last question in Rocket Fire. Historically, in American politics, do certain philosophies or issues persist even as the parties change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's since our founding, there's been this question of, of individualism and, and, uh, and states' rights. I mean, both of those things as far as uh, from a national perspective and uh, what's good. Is the, person, is the person's individual freedom paramount or are states paramount or is the national government paramount uh, in order to help support the states and, and, and the individual? Um, and those things, no matter what happens over time, those have always been the, the issues and the questions that, that we face. And every issue can be boiled down to that, whether you're looking at uh, you know, our first constitution being thrown out, the Articles of Confederation, and our new one being uh, written, um, or you look at uh, the issue of slavery uh, coming down to an individual right as well as an economic right, and what was good for the nation um, as far as that goes. Although you can say that they chose to uh, sacrifice individual rights um, uh, under Lincoln in order to to bring more power under the federal government. You know, you saw the same thing uh, with FDR. Um, it's really a, a, an issue that permeates time and and it's not libertarianism is not a new philosophy it's it's a philosophy that has been around for ages um we used to be called classical liberals back in the day and and that, that's right you know that's right that, that philosophy really begs the questions of that that still resonate today of individualism and and what freedom really means and what is what what makes a person the best person that they can be i happen to believe it's you know being an individual and not having somebody breathing down your neck telling you what you can and can't do right on and that's rocket fire give it up for richard longstrap hey this is blast off journey rocket and i'm here with my ray of truth miss raylene lightheart yes Thank you. Thank yes you. yes raylene you're a great host Thank you. You are too, Johnny. No, you're what really a great are. boss. Yes, you're great. You're great. And we have a great guest, Mr. Richard Longstreth. Thank you so much for being here, man. And this is fun. Yeah. This is fun. So, really, take it away. Where in 2020 do you believe libertarian messaging is most needed? And who do you believe will be the most receptive to our ideas and outreach, especially in light of it being an election year? Um, good question. I think that our message is most needed um, at I think our younger generation needs to hear our message the most. Um, right now, Bernie Sanders' message is appealing to them, uh, but it wasn't that long ago that Ron Paul showed that uh, young people really are turned on by the libertarian message. Many many of the activists of today were, you know, uh, 18, 19, 20-year-olds during the Ron Paul uh, mm -hmm. uh, campaign uh, not too long ago. Um, and I think that the party grew to a point with those people, and instead of continuing to focus on that message and focusing on recruiting young people, uh, we let that slip by. Um, I really think that our message message appeals the most to them because they naturally question authority uh, just by the by what a teenager is and what a young person is. And that resonates very well with what our movement is about, is questioning authority and being an individual and who you want to be. Um, and, you know, I was first turned on, turned on to libertarian ideas in college myself, uh, uh, just by, by being around other people who said, you know, uh, I don't care about the system. I don't care about the government. I, I want to be me and just do what I want to do. And, you know, they, who cares which party it aligns with? I, I am who I am. And I think that that's a, a demographic that uh, we can really put a lot more time and investment into and, and really work on expanding our outreach programs on college campuses and even into high schools a little bit. Um, and, and just, you know, letting those people ask questions and see, see where it takes them. Mm -hmm. Right on, man. Richard, what has been your recent frustrations when it comes to party business? Is it the goddamn emails, the phone calls? What are some of the things you would like to see happen regarding that? 
And what are some of the things going on on the LNC that just seems like a big waste of time? Well, I mean, I think uh, some of the biggest problems that that I've noticed and that I felt are are we we as a board right now as as the LNC committee we don't we only meet once a quarter um, and largely that's all it's been. I think that we don't meet often enough to effectively uh, run the organization or to help monitor the organization. I don't think that uh, everybody that's on the organization wants to be that involved. Uh, some of them are there for their pride. Some of them are there for their pet projects. Uh, some of them are there because they've always been there and, and they do a really good job at what they do. Uh, but is it, are they really helping advance our party? And so, um, you you know, I'm, I certainly don't want to call out any names. I think everybody that is on there has worked really well together uh, these last two years, and I'd be happy to work with any of them again on the next uh, iteration. Uh, but I, I do have a little bit of frustration about how little it seems the LNC does sometimes um, and how little direction we give to staff and how little attention we seem to pay uh, when it comes to developing uh, resources and, and opportunities for uh, local candidates and affiliates. And so that'd be an area that I'd really want to see us improve on uh, really well. And uh, yeah, what was the second part of your question? Yeah. Bam. America. Freedom. Go. Did I get it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, have a, I want to piggyback on that, on that question and answer. Uh, okay. So if the LNC members can't meet very often, and, and I think a lot of it is that everybody's a volunteer and has to pay for their airfare to, to travel all over the country and meet up with each other. Right? I think that's a big part of it. How come in a digital age, we're not doing more digital LNC meetings? Is that gotcha. something that they're going to start to do? Because think about doing something like that uh, once a month or biweekly could be a huge change, especially if you're doing it on a Facebook Live or, or sharing it so there's transparency. People can actually watch the meetings. I mean, I think that would really get a fire lit under a lot more members buns you you and me both really and i i mean 100 percent agree so uh i guess to answer your question why don't why doesn't the lnc meet more electronically um we can our policy manual allows it mm -hmm. uh, but it requires uh a meeting to be called and a certain number of sponsors to be hit in order to force that meeting to happen um and then it has to be scheduled and that sort of thing and there are um a fair chunk of voices on the lnc uh that do not want to put that much time or effort into those sorts of meetings. Um, so uh, the votes are out there. Uh, I don't have them in front of me, but if you're curious about that, uh, look at the votes and, and don't reelect those people because I would love to see the LNC at least, at least meet once a month. Right. Um, you know, I'm with once you. every quarter yeah. in person and yeah. once every month electronically um, as a minimum. I think that would reduce our emails. I think that we would be able to uh, interact with HQ a lot more and kind of keep an eye on projects uh, instead of letting three month gaps go without updates. Um, I, I just, I think that there's a lot of opportunity if we agreed to meet more often, mm -hmm. the policy manual allows it. We just have to vote to to make it happen. And, you know, there there are a lot of people on the LNC who have the opposite opinion uh, uh, from what I described earlier that are like me that would like to see those meetings. We're just the minority at this point. So uh, why doesn't it happen? Um, this a is a petition worthy, in my opinion. I mean, not I only so. and, and I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that will stop is people not doing their work. So let's say I, I'll do this or please do this and I'll see you in three months, right? And in three months, they don't have it done. But every time on record, somebody shows up to a monthly meeting and doesn't have it done and they're like, uh, didn't do it, uh, didn't do it. You know, that's the kind of- like yeah, not only do, well, they will when people pay pressure. attention. And I, and I, yes, people, if you're taking a position, having that accountability partner, which is the membership- yeah. 
is yes. important. And so, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 100% with you. And the other part, too, that I like that you mentioned is, you know, we, we always we use Zoom primarily. We don't use Facebook Live, but we can always link to those Zoom meetings. That's right. And one of the things the LNC always does at their meetings is open it up for public comment. Well, if we only meet four times a year, we're not getting a heck of a lot of public comment, are we? If I've we never meet, seen one, well, dude. Yeah. I've never what seen are, one. What are we doing? Just Where sitting around this? scratching our balls. And, you know, that is the hard part about politics. That is the hard yeah. part about it's boring, SEC. Though. It's for boring. each state, it, it it's actually very difficult to get anything done because everybody's fighting your well, every little move, and and um questioning everything too, which I think is I'm important. with you, Raylene. Yeah, I'm with you, and you make absolute perfect sense. I mean, but I think you're right. What's the incentive? Like, what's the incentive for them to do what they needed to do? Nothing. You know, there is no. They can't be held accountable if they're not sitting there every day. Like being, you need to hold people to a standard. If I have to meet somebody every three months on this day, that's or foster an environment where people will hold themselves accountable. And I think that that's way more libertarian in a in a beautiful manner. Mm-hmm. Is fostering an environment where everyone is personal and responsible, and they feel the social pressure from their peers, from their peers, friends yeah. and community that they have chosen voluntarily to be there with. It's a lot harder to say out loud when you're doing something wrong, you, if you say it out loud, you usually want to change it. I mean, that's what whole, and again, and I'm going to make, I'm going to really quick make this point Mm -hmm. is I I totally agree with you, but also it just gets so overwhelming when you have pages and pages and pages of emails. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know where to start. And I was saying, you know, when I was, you know, with Richard can explain this, I mean, just emails every day. I'm like, I don't care. I mean, like, where do I start on this? I've been working all day. I get home. I, first thing I'm going to do is read all these. No, I'm not. I ain't going to do yeah. Well, and Johnny, you tried it and you realized that you were not going to do a very good job. So you stopped. And and honestly, yes. it's it's rough, but at least you were honest about it. Everybody just needs to be honest and go yeah. put aces in their places. And, and, and every person who's on the LNC has to remember that the delegates elected and put them there. They, they, they were elected to be representatives in one form, fashion or another, whether that was as a regional representative or an at-large representative or as an officer, all of those people were elected. And that means that we have a responsibility uh, to our constituents and those that elected us. And if we are not willing to even have a meeting, are we really hitting that responsibility? If we're not willing to hear the people and talk about the issues, are, are we really living up to our responsibility? I mean, there, there are great people on the LNC who I think do really good work at the meetings, but they never want to do anything else otherwise. And and it's time for some of those people, I think, to turn over. This is going to be a new year on the LNC. You know, with Sarwark out, Alex Merced's not rerunning for vice chair, um, so there's no chance that he can get it. That's already the top two positions that are guaranteed to have somebody brand new this year, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to uh, change how our party hopefully moves forward and hopefully for the better. Um, Secretary is up in the air right now. Um, there have been, uh, uh, I think, Brandon Finney, Karen Ann Harlos, and uh, everybody's favorite. Uh, Mr. Ogle uh, have declared uh, for the secretary position and uh, treasurer, I think, is, is Tim Hagen. He's the only one that's declared my knowledge. But you're looking at the possibility there of, of at least right now three officers changing over, uh, not to mention the at-large roles will probably change over. Uh, Region 1 is going to have a new rep. This is going to be a brand new LNC, uh, and it's going to be interesting and fun to see how they react and if they want to meet more often and how engaged they want to be in helping steer this party forward. I'm with you, man. Amazing. Okay, Raylene, yeah. prepare for landing. Oh, already I have so many more questions. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Wait, wait, one more. One more. Please, Johnny. 
We don't have time. Johnny. We have no time. Pow. We can save it for the after party. Okay, you got me. Well, if you guys want to listen to the after party, all you have to do is go to supportblastoff.com and give us a dollar and you get to listen to it anytime you want to. And for $2, you can listen to the all-nighter also, which is especially fun because you get to hear this ray of sunshine and truth really spitting, yo. I will let you know who sucks. <laughs> okay. What the f- What's that, oh yo? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so really prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NEP initiated. Anti-state supercharges. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Richard Longstrev, give us your .com, sir. Uh, sure. So if you want to find me uh, right now, I have my Facebook page, facebook.com slash libertarian longstreth. Uh, I'm working on getting my website up. It will be um, RL4LNC or RL4LNCVC.com, uh, one of the two. Uh, so uh, when people listen in the future, try one of those. Uh, you can also donate to me right now at uh, bit.ly uh, slash uh, RL4 spelled out VC. Uh, uh, so those are my dot coms. Yeah. So uh, again, that's RL4LC. RL4LNCVC. Wow. Okay. Well, send that to me via I, Gmail. I can't even remember. You just told me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> All right. Anyways, so it's Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas. And again, if you want to hear the rest of this interview, please subscribe, donate at supportblastoff.com. Anyways, so it's Johnny Rocket, Raylene Lightheart, always launching ideas. Rock and roll. See you next week. People get on duck!